Hello, good evening to you wherever you are. My name is Edmund and this is Unlawful Arrest in the Law of Tort. Everyone in Ghana is entitled to freedom from physical restraint, Article 14 of the 1992 Constitution. And everyone else, everyone is protected against unlawful interference with his or her freedom of movement and personal liberty. Now, the thought of unlawful arrest secures these freedoms. That is, when you arrest a person in violation of the law, you commit the thought of unlawful arrest. Now, the law on unlawful arrest is to be found in three sources. The Common Law, the Criminal Procedure Act 1960, Act 30, as amended by NRCD 235, and Articles 14, 15, 19, and 21 of the 1992 Constitution. Now, let's look at the common law rules. Now, the, the case of Christie and Lichinsky provides the common law rules on arrest. In that, in that case, the appellants were Liverpool police officers arrested, um, who were Liverpool police officers arrested the respondent at his warehouse in Liverpool without a warrant. At the time, they suspected and had reasonable grounds for suspecting that he had stolen or feloniously received at Leicester a bill of cloth then in the warehouse, but they did not give this as the ground of the arrest. Instead, they said they were arresting him on the charge of unlawful possession. Under the Liverpool Corporation Act 1921, though in the circumstances the act gave them no power of arrest without a warrant, the respondent was taken to the police station and brought before a magistrate on the unlawful possession charge. In an action for false imprisonment, the appellants sought to justify the arrest and detention on the common law ground. Now, Viscount Simon said, if a policeman arrests without warrant upon reasonable suspicion of felony or of other crime of a thought of a sort which does not require warrant, he must in ordinary circumstances inform the person arrested of the true ground of arrest. He is not entitled to keep the true ground to himself or to give a reason which is not true. In other words, a citizen is entitled to know on what charge or on what suspicion his, the crime he seized for. If the, if the citizen is, is not so informed but is nevertheless seized, the policeman, apart from certain exceptions, is liable for false imprisonment. The requirement that a person arrested should be informed of the reason why he is seized naturally does not exist if the circumstances are such that he must know the general nature of the alleged, alleged offense for which he is detained. Example, if he is caught, if he's caught fili -fili or in flagrante delicto. The, the requirement that he should be so informed does not mean that technical or precise language need be used. The matter is a matter of substance and turns on the elementary proposition that in this country, a person is prima, prima facie entitled to his freedom and is only required to submit restraint on his freedom if he knows in substance the reason it is claimed that this restraint should be imposed. Now, the person arrested cannot complain that he has not been supplied with the above information as and when he should be if he himself produces the situation which makes it practically impossible to inform him. Example, immediately counter-attacking or running away. These principles equally apply to a private person who arrests on suspicion. 
Now, let's look at some general provisions relating to arrest. Section 3 of Act 30 is relevant here. It says, to arrest a person, you must actually touch or confine the body of the arrestee unless he submits to custody, custody by word or deed. A case which illustrates this requirement is the case of Asante and the Republic. In the case, K lodged a complaint that she had been assaulted by the appellant. An escort police constable was detailed to go with her to invite the appellant to the police station. The police station, the police constable, when the appellant was found, showed him his identity card and invited him to the police station. The appellant refused to go. The police constable did not tell him why he was he was wanted at the police station. Upon the appellant's refusal, the police constable seized the ignition key of his car, thus preventing him from driving away. To retrieve the key, the appellant knocked the police constable down and while the police constable was on the ground, kicked him, injuring him and his trousers. The appellant was convicted of two charges of assault on the police constable in the execution of his duty and of causing damage to the property of, pol of the police constable. He appealed arguing that a. His arrest was unlawful on the evidence. B. Ipso facto, he was justified in resisting the unlawful arrest. And C. His conviction on charge 2 was bad because the value of the property rather than the value of the damage was used. Now, his appeal was allowed on the ground that the arrest was unlawful because A. The police constable failed to put the appellant under lawful arrest by not informing him of the cause of arrest as required by Section 10 of Act 30 which empowers a policeman to arrest without warrant and b the police constable committed assault on the appellant by refusing to leave the spot where the appellant was and seizing his ignition key which was not an integral part of the process of arresting the appellant now section 4 of act 30 if you are arresting a by warrant and you believe that he has entered the house the occupier is required to afford you reasonable facilities to search the place for the person if he fails you can break into the place to effect the arrest section 5 the person effecting the arrest may likewise break out to liberate liberate himself section 6 dpp and hoxson lewis and chief constable these cases decide that a person arrested is to be subjected to no more restraint than is necessary to prevent his escape section 7 unless the arrestee is caught in flagrante delicto that is in the act the arrestor shall inform the arrestee of the cause of arrest where he is acting under a warrant he must notify the arrestee of the substance of the warrant and show it to him if he so desires we can illustrate this provision by referencing to the decision in Yao and Kobuna. In Yao and Kobuna, the plaintiff had earlier lodged a complaint for the ejection of his caretakers from the farm. Until late in 1958, he was chief of Yamfo, a town near Sunyane. He was distilled and notice to that effect was published in the Gazette of Sunyane, the Gazette of November 1958 in Sunyane. He was further ordered to hand over all the stool properties to Nana Buama II, the new chief, who was authorized to seize and take possession of such properties. He was allegedly restrained 
when he would not give up the black stools and be imprisoned in Sunyani. Police justification was that he was arrested and detained for committing in their presence the offense of hindering the recovery of the stool property. He further alleged that he was not told the reason why he was arrested. The plaintiff sued for £5,000 damages for unlawful arrest and false imprisonment. It was held that the arrest was and detention were not unlawful and the plaintiff was released as soon as the police decided not to prosecute him. It was not unlawful because it was in consequence of his refusal to hand over the black stools, an act which was an offence liable to summary conviction under statute law. In the circumstances, in the circumstances, he ought to have known the reason for his detention and it was not necessary for him to be told. The second case is Asumeni Bugembe and the Attorney General. So, from conflicting evidence, the court found that the plaintiff was injured while resisting arrest in his shop at Nakawa in the city of Kampala, but the police failed to inform the plaintiff of the, of the reason for his arrest. The plaintiff sought damages for assault. In his holding, Bennett CJ said, there are two exceptions to this rule which are stated thus in the speech of Viscount Simon in the English cases. The rule that the arrestee should be informed of the reason for his arrest. The requirement that the person arrested should be informed of the reason why he is seized naturally does not exist if the circumstances are such that he must know the general nature of the alleged offence for which he is detained. 2. The person arrested cannot complain that he has not been supplied with the above information as and when he should be if he himself produces the situation which makes it practically impossible to inform him, i.e. by immediate counter-attack or by running away. So this case is Asumeni Bugembe and the AG. Now let's go back to Acts 30, Section 8. The arrestee is to be decently searched and all things found on him placed in safe custody. The purpose of this search is to entirely seize anything he can use to harm himself or others while in custody. Section 9. The arrestee must be taken with all reasonable dispatch to a police station or other place where the arrestee can be taken and to be told without delay of the charge against him. The arrestee is to be given reasonable facilities for obtaining legal advice, taking steps to furnish bail and making arrangements for his defense or release. Section 14. Any private person arresting without warrant shall without necessary delay hand arrestee over to a police officer or a police station to take him to nearest police to, to the nearest nearest police station or take him to the nearest police station. Section 15. A person taken into custody without warrant shall be released not later than 48 hours unless he is earlier brought before a court. He can be bonded with or without sureties to appear before such court or police station or place at such time as may be stated in the bond. Generally, the law requires arrest to be made with a warrant. Under, under Act 30, there are two types of arrest. Arrest with a warrant, in which case there can be no action because the warrant is issued by a judicial officer, and then arrest without a warrant. Now, both types are regulated by various provisions of Act 30. Now, arrest with a warrant under Section 71 to 73 provides that the warrant be issued only by a judge upon a complaint or charge made before him on oath. Now, Section 73 requires that the warrant must state briefly the offence, indicate the name or description of the person, 
and order the person or persons to whom it is directed to apprehend the person against whom it is issued and bring him before the court the issuing court or some other court with jurisdiction over the matter to answer the charges against him and to be further dealt with according to law now the warrant remains in force until executed or cancelled by the issuing court the warrant may be directed to more officers or persons than one person the person executing the warrant is required with unnecessary delay to bring the person arrested before the court mentioned in the warrant now arrest without a warrant the law on arrest without a warrant distinguishes between arrest by private individuals and by law enforcement agents, example the police. In this case, a police officer or other law enforcement agent having police powers has greater protection under the law than a private citizen, i.e. greater powers of arrest without warrant. This is regulated by sections 10 and 12 of Act 30 as amended by the Criminal Procedure Act. Arrest by a private person now section 12 of, of act 30 as amended by the criminal procedure act amendment decree 1975 nrcd 235 regulates this subject section 12 provides for two separate scenarios scenario scenario one scenario one relates to an occurrence which the person sees the relevant rules are briefly stated below a person may arrest without warrant any person who in his presence emphasis on in his presence commits any five any of the five offenses namely any offense involving the use of force or violence any offense whereby bodily harm is caused to any person any offense in the nature of stealing or fraud any offense involving injury to public property any offense involving injury to property owned by or in lawful care or in custody of that person scenario two a private person may arrest without warrant any person whom he reasonably whom he reasonably suspects of having committed any of the offenses mentioned above provided that an offense of that nature has in fact been committed in other words in scenario two the arrest is being effected on suspicion since the one effecting the arrest was not there when the offense was committed now the case of Walter Smith, Walter and Smith and Sons explains this provision. In that case, the plaintiff was nine years assistant manager at a bookstall of the defendant at the King's Cross railway station. Early in 1912, at the, at the half-yearly stock taking, deficiencies were discovered. It was clear that this must be due to pilfering on the part of one or more of the defendant's servants. Stocks were taken in February and April and further deficiencies were noted. The, def the defendant, in order to detect the culprit, set a trap. Copies of the book, Traffic, were marked and delivered at the bookstore at King's Cross. An agent of the defendants later, later went to a shop at the stains kept by the plaintiff and his wife to purchase a copy of the book. One of the marked ones was sold to him. The book had been taken by the plaintiff on 15 June 1912 from the bookstore without payment having been made and without the knowledge of the manager or the assistant. After inquiries, it was discovered that the plaintiff had also breached his contract by setting up, together with his wife, a rival company. The plaintiff was questioned and he gave unsatisfactory answers to how he came to possess the marked book. Mr. Hornby, 
manager of the defendant honestly believed the plaintiff to have been reasonably responsible for the thefts which had been going on and handed him over to the police was taken to the police court and charged with stealing the book he was eventually acquitted his defense which was accepted by the jury was that in taking the book he had no felonious intent thereafter he sued his employers for unlawful arrest and false imprisonment Sir Rufus Isaac said, at common law, a police constable may arrest a person if he has reasonable cause to suspect that a felony has been committed, although it afterwards appears that no felony had been committed. But it is not so when a private person makes or causes that arrest. For to justify his action, he must prove entirely that a felony had actually been committed. I have come to the conclusion that it is necessary for a private person to prove that the, felony, the same felony had been committed for which the plaintiff had been given into custody. He said that a private individual is justified in himself arresting a person or ordering him to be arrested where a felony has been committed, committed and he has reasonable grounds of suspicion that the person accused is guilty of it. That means the felony for which he has been arrested. In summary, the law allows a private individual to arrest another on suspicion where the offense was not committed in her presence. However, three conditions must be satisfied, otherwise the arrest will be unlawful. First, the basis for the suspicion must be reasonable. Second, the arrest must relate to one of the five offenses listed above. Third, the offenses must have must have actually been committed by the person being arrested. The law is thus clear that when a private individual arrests another without a warrant and on and only on suspicion and the suspected offense is found not to have been committed for whatever reason, he opens himself up for to a suit for unlawful arrest and possibly false imprisonment. Now let's go to arrest by police officer. Now this subject is regulated by section 10 of Act 30 as amended by the Criminal Procedure Act Amendment Decree 1975 NRCD 235. The, applic the applicable rules are as follows. A. 1. A police officer may arrest without warrant any person who a. commits an offense in his presence, b. obstructs a police officer in the execution of his duty, c. has escaped or attempted to escape from lawful custody, d. has in his possession any implement adapted or intended for use in unlawful, unlawfully entering any building and who gives no reasonable excuse for his possession of it, e has in his possession anything which may reasonably be suspected to be stolen property. It must be noted that unlike arrest by a private individual, here in the case of a police officer or a law enforcement agent, the requirement that the offense must be committed in his presence is just one of the circumstances and there is no limit on the offenses for which the arrest can be made. Number two. A police officer may arrest without warrant any person whom he suspects on reasonable grounds a. Of having committed an offence B. Of being about to commit an offence C. Of being with, about to commit an offence where he finds such a person in any highway, yard, building or other place during the night D. Of being a, a person for whom a warrant of arrest has been issued by a court E. Of being a deserter from the armed forces F. Of having been concerned in any any act committed outside Ghana which, if committed in Ghana, would have been punishable as an offence and for which he is, under any enactment, liable to be arrested and detained in Ghana. So, in the case of arrest by police officers on suspicion, the law requires that the police officer's grounds for, for suspecting the arrestee is reasonable. 
Now, the case of Dallison and Caffrey provides a test for what is reasonable in the circumstance. In that case, an amount of £173 was stolen from the office of a solicitor at Dunstable. A man named Dallison was arrested and charged with the offence. At the quarter sessions, counsel for the prosecution offered, to evidence, offered no evidence against the plaintiff, stating that it was a case of mistaken identity. Accordingly, the plaintiff was acquitted and discharged. The police officer in charge was Caffrey. The plaintiff sued Caffrey for false imprisonment and malicious prosecution. The judge dismissed the claim. He appealed. Lord Denning was satisfied that the defendant had reasonable cause for suspecting that the plaintiff had committed a crime. He said the test for reasonableness for the arrest is objectively, namely whether a person, whether a reasonable man assumed to know the law and possessed of the information which in fact was possessed by the defendant who believed that there were such there was such there was reasonable and probable cause if the statute creating the offense specifies where the arrestee is to be taken into or kept or who has the power to effect the arrest non-compliance with the statute renders that arrest unlawful in that case is ex parte and EAJ. Now let's look at some constitutional provisions. So as indicated when we started, Article 14, 15, 19 and 21 of the Constitution also provides rules for the tort of unlawful arrest. Article 14 says, Every person shall be entitled to his personal liberty and no person shall be deprived of his personal liberty except in the following cases and in accordance with procedure permitted by law, in execution of a sentence or order of a court in respect of a criminal offence of which he has been convicted or in execution of an order of a court punishing him for contempt for the purpose of bringing him to, before a court in execution of an order of a court. In the case of a person suffering from an infectious or contagious, contagious disease, a person of unsound mind, a person addicted to drugs or alcohol or a vagrant or a vagrant for the purpose of his care or treatment or the protection of the community or for the purpose of education or welfare of a person who has not attained age of 18 years, for the purpose of preventing unlawful entry of that person into Ghana, upon reasonable suspicion of his having committed or being about to commit a criminal offence under the laws of Ghana. 2. A person who is arrested, restricted or detained shall be informed immediately in a language he understands of the reasons for his arrest, restriction or detention and of his right to a lawyer of his choice. Lewis and Chief Constable of South Wales Constabulary may shed some light on this provision. In this case, two people were arrested on suspicion of burglary. They were not informed of the reasons at the point of arrest. They were taken to the police station. One was given the reasons 10 minutes later. The second was told 23 minutes later. The court, was, the court held that the arrest, though initially unlawful, were remedied later. So unlawful arrest claim could not succeed. Now, 3. Article 14.3. A person who is arrested, restricted or detained, A. For the purpose of bringing him before a court in execution of an order of a court, B. Upon reasonable suspicion of his having committed or being about to commit a criminal offence under the laws of Ghana, and who is not released, shall be brought before a court within 48 hours after the arrest, restriction or detention. 14.4. 
where a person arrested, restricted or detained under paragraph A or B of clause 3 of this article is not tried within a reasonable time, then without prejudice to any further proceedings that may be brought against him, he shall be released either unconditionally or upon reasonable conditions, including particular conditions reasonable reasonably necessary to ensure that he appears at a later date for a trial or for proceedings preliminary to trial. 5. A person who is unlawfully arrested, restricted or detained by any other person shall be entitled to compensation from that person. 6. Where a person is convicted and sentenced to a term of imprisonment for an offence, any period he has spent in lawful custody in respect of that offence before the completion of his trial shall be taken into account in imposing the term of imprisonment. 7. Where a person who has served the whole or part of his sentence is acquitted on appeal by a court other than the Supreme Court, the court may certify to the Supreme Court that the person acquitted be paid compensation and the Supreme Court may, upon examination of all the facts and the certificate of the court concerned, award such compensation as it may fit, think fit, or whether the acquittal is by the Supreme Court, it may order compensation to be paid to the person acquitted. The Supreme Court has determined the factors that may be taken into account in determining the compensation in the case of Doji Saba and the AG. It was held, Wood CJ, Justice Wood said, the determinant factors must necessarily include 1. The gravity of the offense with which this appellant was charged. 2. The period of incarceration. 3. The stigma associated with the offense charged. 4. The seriousness of the injustice meted out to the applicant. 5. Coupled with the nature of the sentence imposed. 6. We must also take into account the specific pecuniary and proved losses suffered as a result of the incarceration. Now, Article 15 prohibits inter alia torture, cruelty, and indecorous treatment of an arrestee. Article 19 contains provision on fair trial, which, if not complied with, may create a cause of action in unlawful arrest. Article 21, especially clause 1G, 2, 4, and 5 are also relevant for this court, for this tort. Thank you very much. I'll see you on the next podcast.